22 minutes past 10 o'clock. You're listening to Tonight with me, Lester Kibbert, on a Sunday evening. Now, growing up in the ghettos of Kaya in Cape Town, Bulalani Mfaku became involved at an early age in protest in the access to adequate housing. He joined uh, the land movement, Abathlali Basim Jondolo. He worked with the Kaya Licha Healthcare Forum. And then in 2015, he moved to Ireland, where he then furthered his studies. But while there, in 2017, Bulalani claimed asylum, uh, seeking protection from violence and killings of LGBTQI plus people here in Cape Town. While there in Ireland, he's been actively uh, a part of the movements to better the rights and further the rights of asylum seekers and migrants in that country. And I thought it would be quite opportune to speak to Bulalani this evening. Bulalani, all the way from Limerick in Ireland. How are you doing this evening? I'm very good, and thank you for having me, Les, and good evening to your listeners. Now, let, let's start with the, probably with the most uh, topical of, 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 of these talking points. When we think of the, uh, the asylum seeker from South Africa, we think of the white Afrikaners knocking on the door of the embassy at, in Perth, Australia, or Australia. in New Zealand, or a <laughs> or gentleman Canada. in Canada, yes. When I think about <laughs> asylum seekers, I, I don't necessarily think of black, very well-educated South African men knocking on the door yep. in Ireland, saying that I do not feel safe in my country. Why did you apply for asylum in Ireland? Quite a lot of people would have the same view, uh, Lester. When I claimed asylum in Ireland, I didn't even think that there would be other South Africans. But when I walked into the reception center in Finglas in Dublin, where all the asylum seekers would generally be accommodated when they immediately claim asylum. And the first thing I noticed there, Lester, was that I had all the different languages in South Africa. All the, like in Dabele, you had uh, Pedi, you had Chakani, you had Zulu, you had all the different, including Afrikaans, all the different languages I would have had in the reception center. So there was a huge number of South Africans who were in the reception center at the time, which was in 2017. I had traveled to South Africa in February, in January, and I, I returned to Ireland in February of 2017. And while I was in South Africa, I learned of the death um, of one young lesbian woman who was murdered um, in drift tents in, uh, in, uh, just outside Kaya and you would have read about her, Nolufo Sulidao, who was abducted mm. from her house. And before that, I would have experienced persecution myself on the basis of my sexual orientation. There was an incident when I was in a shopping mall mm. in Cape Town. Um, I was spat on my face for no reason other than my sexual orientation. I would have had stones thrown at me, mm. again, for no reason other than my sexual orientation. When I was studying at UWC in the Western Cape, for instance, in 2012, it was in my second year back then, um, a transgender student was attacked in that university, um, and the security guards on campus did nothing to protect uh, the, that student. And other students who were attacking them did nothing to stop the attack. Mm. Um, others gathered to watch and laughed at that incident. But when you have that systemic uh, abuse happening just across uh, 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 the case less and in other parts of South Africa where LGBT plus people have been murdered for no reason of their sexual orientation. As a gay person, you begin to fear for your life. Mm. And I would have lived in Kailicha 
for about 14 years before I left uh, uh, South Africa. And in, at no point when I was living in Kailicha did I ever feel sick. Yeah. I have siblings in Kailicha who lived very different lives. Um, altogether, my brother uh, is a heterosexual man. Um, he would have not felt safe, not because of his sexual orientation, because he's a heterosexual, but purely because of crime area mm. of crime in the area in Kailicha. And I would have gotten involved with the neighborhood watches yeah. to try to keep that crime myself. Now, Bulani, with your lived experience being as valid as 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 you describe it, if you were to go to a uh, a, a reception agency in Ireland and they were to say, "Well, according to us, the South African Constitution is probably the most uh, liberal in the world in that uh, it provides for equal and fair treatment of all people in the LGBTQI uh, community. Uh, in that, uh, this is a policing issue and it's not a, a human rights issue. Have you encountered that argument when trying to state forward?" your case uh, at, at the Irish Reception Centre? Of course I would have, uh, and many other South Africans would have encountered that, and just recently, actually last year, there were about 18 South Africans who were granted refugee status uh, and subsidiary protection in Ireland, and one of them was a sex worker um, who, who was selling sexual favours in, in South Africa and was being abused and mm-hmm. wanted out of the uh, 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 sex work industry did not have protection to get out because the the pimps who were selling hair would not let go. And the police in that instance were useless in providing her with that protection. When she claimed asylum in Ireland, she was rejected in the first instance. So it's almost inevitable because Ireland uh, uh, has a list of countries they have that mind to say that these are safe countries of origin and South Africa is part of those countries that include uh, some of the Balkan states like Georgia, uh, Eastern, a lot of the Eastern European countries that are outside of the EU, Georgia and Albania would also be included in that list. But on appeal, the applicant was told that um, actually they will grant you refugee status because the police in South Africa are pathetic at protecting people. They said they are understaffed, they are not they are ill-equipped and are not well-trained. They have about, they cited the, the crime rate in, uh, in terms of murder rate, about 20,000 people on average that are uh, being murdered in a year, and over 40,000 uh, cases of sexual violence are uh, reported to the police. Police in, in just uh, how how is that received by by the South African mission there in in Ireland uh, in terms of I don't, I don't think that I don't think they get much because lawfully they are not actually allowed to uh, the the Irish authorities aren't allowed to engage uh. with the government of the uh, the applicant so they because that then allows area for for diplomatic negotiation to save face, yes. one would argue. Yeah. Uh, but now, Bulanani, yeah, you, you've now... It also imprinted on the rights of the, the applicants as well. Now, now, you now have been living there uh, as an asylum seeker in in Ireland for the last uh, three years. Uh, not only have you continued with your studies, but you've also now started uh, promoting the rights of other asylum seekers here, knowing the South African situation when it comes to particularly African migrants to this country and how they are treated by our border control, by our home affairs department, by our refugee reception centers. How how has your experience been? 
Well, it's a very different experience altogether in, in Ireland because the political environment is very different to South Africa. When I first came to, when I claimed asylum in, uh, in 2017, I was enrolled for a PhD. My actual uh, study, I intended to study South Africa's response to xenophobic violence, for instance, which is a phenomenon that's not happening in, in Ireland, uh, for example. So you think about Ireland, it's a very small country, think for over 4 million people. Um, Cape Town is, uh, has over, just over 4 million people, whereas South Africa has 55 million or uh, 56 or so million people. So it becomes a bit easier mm. to organize in a small country like Ireland as uh, in comparison to South Africa. So it becomes very difficult. For, I would imagine it would be difficult for migrants in South Africa, for instance, to organize, self-organize and uh, raise their own issues. Mm. There's also the uh, perception amongst uh, particularly uh, countries that are hostile to migrants that asylum seekers ought to, not, to never engage in political debate. So not, we are not expected to be talking about politics. I mean, they'll tell you, mind your own business. Mm. If you have so much opinion, maybe you should have those opinions in your own country. Go fix your own country if you're that good at fixing things. Don't tell us about how to get our house lost. And we haven't experienced that in Ireland. Um, the opposite has happened because Ireland has a system of direct provision, um, which is uh, that when you claim asylum, the state commits to provide you with your bed and three meals a day. Might give you spending money, uh, which is like 38.80 per week. Now it used to be 21.60 for a number of years. Um, But generally you would then be waiting in a reception center for years. Nobody will tell you how long you will wait in that reception center. What is your current status? Are you, do you still have asylum seeker status? Are you refugee yeah, status? I'm still waiting you... for a decision. I'm still waiting for a decision from the Minister for Justice and Equality in Ireland. And if that decision is, is, is denied? If that decision is denied, they have a solicitor on standby and two barristers who uh, will be helping me to take it up on judicial review if that is the case. Are you, are you, how do I put this? Are, are you, your rights, so your rights and your, and your, and your concern is for LGBTQI people living here in South Africa. Is, is your thoughts not on, for lack of a better word, embarrassing South Africa? I <laughs> say so that very, very lightly with, with a loss of words that I have. Now. I'm, I'm trying to figure out in South Africa that portrays itself as this liberal yeah. democracy of free and fair rights for all. This, this thing. I think, I think a lot of people make that assumption. Even here in Ireland, quite a lot of people make that assumption. And Europeans in general do love that because a lot of them would have come, would have, uh, you remember in the transition. Mm. To uh, from apartheid into what uh, to the current I, Ireland, pay, Ireland played a, a very very important part in the anti-apartheid struggle. Yes, and a lot of them would have uh, uh, been uh, praising South Africa for those reforms. But a lot of them aren't actually naive enough to do that. Changes in law mean changes in material conditions. So in lived experiences of uh, people who are, who are meant to be protected by those constitutional protections. So. In in, in 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 theory, the law says in Ireland that a country will be assumed to be a safe country of origin unless an applicant proves otherwise. Mm. So it's incumbent on me to show the Irish state that I would not be safe 
in every time. And, and you wouldn't, and, and you wouldn't be short on, on, and you wouldn't be short on news reports and uh, about the, yes. the impact on, on particularly gender-based violence and also violence against the LGBTQI community uh, in in South Africa. But just my final question to you, uh, Bulalani: um, Are you are you afraid of? Of, of coming back to South Africa? Is there a, 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 a pang that sits in your gut looking at the, the possibility that your asylum would be turned down and you would have to come back to South Africa knowing and living the experiences that you and thousands, hundreds of thousands of other people of the LGBT community live through every day? I am. Uh, Leslie, when I wake up in, in Dublin, for instance, or in Limerick, I can walk down the street um, at any time of the day sharing this with one of my friends who is also from Salaf and lives in Ireland. Um, she was cycling from work at 2 a.m., like at 2 in the morning, in the dark. She was cycling from work alone. Um, it's a woman in a, in a city in, in Dublin, cycling home. You uh, would not be doing that in Johannesburg. You wouldn't be. People are afraid to even drive on their own. Um, at night in certain parts of South Africa. And so I wake up every day with the knowledge that I do not have that fear mm. that I could die tomorrow if I go out to the, to the shop. Like in Kailita, mm. you, we used to sit and think about which side of the road we're going to walk on to going to Nongazela Link, for instance, mm. which is a shopping center in Badbi where mm. I used to go and buy my groceries. Like, you used to think, you, you plot your journey mm. before you step outside. And I do not live with that. Yeah, at, at, the, at the moment, so I would be fearful. If they yeah. Whenever I, whenever I, I, I travel abroad or whether I, I come back home, I realize of the the post traumatic stress disorder that is ingrained in the, into us as South Africans. You can't walk a main street, whether it be in the CBD or whether it be yeah. in the township, without scanning every person in the road fifty meters ahead yeah. of you. It's a heck of a place. Paranoia that that constant paranoia is actually disturbing. It's, you don't live. It's like yeah. just surviving when you're living. Like, I don't want to survive. I want to live. Bulelan Mfako, thank you so much for telling your story. Really appreciate it. And all the best of luck there in Ireland. Thanks, Mr. Thanks.